0: and welcome to The Pure Report. I'm your host, Rob Ludeman, and it is time to bring the orange yet again with our special guest today, someone from our team, from our solutions, uh, specifically in our Verticals team, Diane Saucier, who is our financial services marketing director. Diane, hailing all the way from chilly Chicagoland, how's it going today? (laughs) It is chilly, as a matter of fact. Winter has arrived. Winter has arrived in the Midwest. Only
1: six more months of it and it'll be spring again.
0: That's right, you hit spring, you got about a week of spring towards the end of May and then you jump right into the nice humid summers. Uh, yeah. Still a gorgeous place. Um, yeah. Great to have you on today, and you know, quick welcome. Just to introduce folks to you and, and your a little bit of your background. I know you're well versed in, in financial services. That's what we're going to hit today. But what length or what duration of experience do you have in that space before you ended up at a data management
1: company? Oh, sure. Um, so I started my career way back when uh, on a foreign exchange trading desk at a bank. And it was a a spot and forward desk, so a cash desk, and it was very, very fast moving and a lot of fun. And I actually went into that on purpose. I sort of became uh, enamored with the trading industry in college and decided that's what I wanted to to do, but I don't have the personality to trade full-time. What kind Um, of personality do you
0: need? What, what What does that require?
1: I think that's changed some over the years. Yeah. I think there's less of a sense of, you know, there's less of the uh, gut instinct type mm-hmm. trader and more of, you know, obviously the the quants and so on. Now, um, the trading floors are largely closed in and, and most of the world, except here in the U.S. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, so there's not a lot of arm waving and that sort of thing. But, but at, at the end of the day, I think to be a good trader, you still have to be comfortable With a certain level of risk all the time. And I found that stressful. So that was never what I wanted to do. Um, I I would get stressed watching some of the traders, you know, take on huge positions and turn them really quickly. And, you know, it it was hard enough just to watch (laughs) much less of my income based on it or the company's income.
0: (laughs) That's where the pressure comes from, right?
1: Yeah, it was too much for me. So, but I do love the industry. And so that's where I went from that to. Uh, worked for a couple of banks and then uh, switched to the vendor technology side primarily still in the trading and investment space but um, expanded after that to a variety of other areas in financial technology so
0: you know I think the the net net is you've got, a number of years under your belt in this space, and that's why I wanted to bring you on to just explain all the different nuances, right? That goes on. I think people talk a little bit generically just about financial services and maybe think it's one thing, and it's actually so many different uh, different things. And then you ended up here at, at Pure. What was what was the opportunity, and what it's been like here? I think it's been about. Eighteen months? Are you coming up on about a year and a half here in the yeah. current role here at Pure and leading, leading the charge and the go-to-market for uh, for what we do for financial services? How's it been?
1: Uh, it's great. Um, it's it was such a funny experience because um, I was hired at Pure during the pandemic shutdown, yeah. and um, up until a few months ago, I had literally never met a single uh, Pure colleague in person. So, um, but I've been. Surprised at how well I've been able to develop relationships and collaborate with colleagues uh, all across the organization and across all our different geographies, virtually. The um, you know I've worked for I've I've worked from home in the past for other companies, but there wasn't that same sense of it's almost like being in the room. Yeah. Um, cameras are on people use the chat to have side conversations. Like you might whisper to the person at the table next to you in the conference room. Um, there's much more of a, uh, of a sense of that same sort of, you know, collegiality here, other than being able to go out for, you know, beers or something afterwards. Yeah.
0: Right? Well, and I think you've gotten into the office in Chicago a couple of times and yep. you know, you've got a nice little background there on your, on your zoom of what
1: yep. I assume <laughs>
0: is the Chicago, which I've never even been to, but, uh, yes. would, would love it's to sometime. Kitchen. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> and I know we have banter from time to time, because I know you're a big Northwestern yep. uh, supporter and fan, and then you go head to head against my Duke stuff. But uh, well, what else do you do in your spare time?
1: Pinch watch Netflix? No, yeah. I'm just kidding. It's, re- it's cold today. So that's sounding kind of appealing. No, I, you know, I love to cook, I scuba dive, but I haven't had many opportunities recently since we haven't been traveling much and I don't like cold water. Um, I play golf mostly badly, but I have my occasional flashes of brilliance and I'm a huge sports fan. So like you said, our, you know, my Northwestern Wildcats, who did not have a good year this year um, and Chicago teams, but I'm also a Chelsea uh, football fan. So that's so. right. We
0: get banter on that as well. Yeah. Yes, with the, with the back and <laughs> forth with my man city against your Chelsea, which is fun. That uh, is always good when we, you know, it's yes, a nice yes. common bond when you, when you run into somebody else, that's a, that's a premier league supporter. Well, exactly. yeah. um, awesome to have you on and get to know a little bit more about you. Okay. I, I really want to start general here and just set context around the financial services industry <laughs> Again, because I mentioned earlier that people think it may be just one thing or a couple of things, and there's really more to it, but describe, if you will, just the the various entities or the landscape. Like, What does banking really mean when we talk about the street? There's multiple sides, and you talked a little bit about trading there, but you've got the buy side and the sell side. Just just a primer around that for folks to give them a little bit more insight.
1: Sure. Yeah, so you're right. Most people do think of what most people think of when they think of financial services are the banks. Um, Yeah. So, and they are, you know, obviously a huge part of it, but uh, banking encompasses many different types of entities. So the challenges and the opportunities of a a small retail bank or a credit union are completely different from say the world's largest investment bank, J.P. Morgan, um, which has total assets of $3.2 trillion. Um, But there are some common questions across the banking industry. So, you know, how will innovation transform banking as we Mm -hmm. currently know it? Will the incumbent banking organizations continue to dominate the field or will they be disintermediated by fintechs um, who take the lion's share of the customer facing functions and the banks end up keeping the balance sheets and the back end um, or the legacy banks might compete with the fintechs or partner with them? Um, we did a survey recently that showed that uh, partnering is you know, by far the most popular approach to adopting um, new digital technologies for the legacy banks. Um, so they may also go on a buying spree and absorb some of these fintechs. On the other hand, there are fintechs that are looking to buy banks right. um, in order to become a bank. So the banking industry is really changing. The question isn't how banking will change, but how it's, you know, where it's going to be transformed exactly. So
0: well, how's um, the How's the dividing line between old school and new school, right? I mean, with technology adoption and you mentioned some of these FinTechs, you've you've got the old established, like all the names that we would know, but then you have right. these starts that are maybe taking technology and, and leveraging it in a way that gives them an advantage. Like how does that work with the old school and new school? Or is it just, as you mentioned, where the, you know, there's acquisitions going in both direction, depending on what's needed.
1: Yeah. I mean, there are some, there are different kinds of things going on. So there are, Direct competitors that are, you know, like the online banks. They're typically retail banks that operate entirely digitally. They usually target a younger customer um, who's more interested in free checking accounts than visiting a branch. So, mm-hmm. like Ally Bank, you may see ads for them, Chime, SoFi. There's a Brazil bank, um, Brazil based New Bank that Warren Buffett backs and is looking at an IPO next year. But then there are all sorts of other uh, variations on that. And um, and part of it is that some of these fintech firms are branching out. Um, so you've got uh, you've got payment. The payments industry is very large uh, of the fintech space and growing segment of the financial industry. And even pre-pandemic, it was transforming because customers have moved from cash to card to mobile transactions. Um, and but now now that space is changing as their new market entrants like Venmo and Stripe are creating alternative payment channels. Um, so lots of those banks and card issuers are, are shifting their business models away from typically heavy reliance on fee revenue toward other more customer centric models that reflect new customer preferences, especially with the younger consumers. So, and, you know, you, you asked earlier about, um, banking and the different kinds of entities and, and things like that on the sides of the street. Um, and I think, uh, the, if you look at like the largest type of banks, the ones we think of, you know, the investment banks, the Goldman Sachs and Barclays and Deutsche Bank and J.P. Morgan, they, um, those banks specialize in large and complex financial transactions. Um, but those are also those banks are also made up of a multitude of different legal entities, and each legal entity may have different lines of business, so that every large bank will have many, many people with the same titles and roles. And in some cases, those entities and business lines are even competing with each other. Um, so even though they're massive organizations, they're still vulnerable to, you know, to challenges from some of these fintech upstarts. And, and fintech is, I think, is a little misleading too, because most people think of them, think of fintech as startups, um, but there are massive established um, financial technology firms or fintechs um, you know, you think of Rocket Mortgage or um, PayPal, Venmo, uh, all of those. And and they're um, huge organizations that everybody uses. Venmo is a verb. You know, yeah. I told my daughter, I Venmoed money to her. Yeah. So, um, But there are also the, the digital platforms like Amazon and Google. In Asia, we have WeChat. And um, those platforms are... Um, disrupting the financial industry by bridging the value chains of various different industries and creating ecosystems that then reduce the customer's cost and friction. And and they're able to do that in part because they have massive customer connections already and customer data that they can exploit to become a central part of the customer journey. So, you know, so they can add Google pay and Apple pay and, and that sort of thing and people can adopt it instantly. There isn't the same, um, friction that there is establishing a new relationship with a legacy bank. So,
0: so that's really interesting is that You wouldn't think, you know, that some of those online companies would be like financial institutions, but in a way they are, which creates new competitions, right? Right. What you're, what you're talking about is, you know, new players coming into the established, you know, native or old school, however you want to describe them and creating, you know, challenges. and, And you're getting this kind of blur between what is traditional and what the cloud companies do, or even let's call them fintechs. You know, since right. since you've gotten there, and they've got a lot of skin in the game. There's a lot of transactions that are going through the the hyperscalers. Um, you know, for lack of another term, it's it's really dynamic. Uh, space and while we're on dynamism it's really all about pace right i mean if we look at one of the biggest challenges i think it's always been the march toward everything in real time and and there's yep. a lack of a lack of patience if you if you <laughs> actually have to if you actually have to wait right as a consumer at the end if you have to wait for a transaction whether you're making a stock yep. trade or or just just doing a basic banking transaction the expectation now is really real time isn't it
1: it is. It really is. And, you know, there are some areas of financial services, like where I started out in the in the trading space that have always been obsessed with speed and latency. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, now real-time has really hit across the industry. So the expectation, like you said, for a transaction is instant. Um, near instant credit approvals, fraud protection that, that doesn't ruin your vacation with false positives, that understands, you know, where you are and what you're doing. Um, 24-7 everything. So mm-hmm. the Gen Zers who have probably never set foot in a branch or owned a check, um, you know, they can do everything they want to do, not only without going into a physical location, but even they also don't like picking up a phone. Uh, so everything has to be at that instant speed. Um, and there are challenges beyond just the speed of a transaction. So like in the algo trading space, for example, um, where they're trying to react first to market moves or tiny price discrepancies, that involves massive volumes of data that are coming from various sources like exchange tick data, might be Twitter sentiment data, that all has to be consolidated and made available to these trading desks in real time. And they measure things in milliseconds and microseconds, Mm -hmm. even nanoseconds that can make all the difference. So um, in that case, the right infrastructure is crucial because it's not just latency, it's also throughput and consistency. Um, They would tell you, you know, the tails matter. If you're fast 99% of the time or 99.1% of the time, it's not good enough because they need to be predictable.
0: Yeah, yeah, and it's in response time. Now I remember at a at a prior company working working with CBOE and we were trying to architect something and I was just amazed because it was such a it was such a small fraction, you know, it was multiple decimal decimal points <laughs> over yeah. that we were we were trying to architect something for them and somebody asked, "Well, does this really make a difference?" And they said, "Yeah, it makes the difference to the tune of, you know, of millions of dollars millions if we're able dollars. to transact this this, you know, 10,000th of a second. Um, that that has downstream ramifications for us in, in what we're able to do. At the same time, where the march is all about real time, I think you still have, the umbrella or maybe a, a worse term hanging over your head around security and and regulatory requirements and compliance. Like those are things that just are, are. I mean, they've always been there, but they're even probably more extreme now What what's going on in, in the area of, of regulatory and, and compliance requirements. Like what are the big challenges you see?
1: Yeah, it is huge. Um, you know, on the regulatory front, the financial institutions need to report to typically a, a, decent-sized one, more than 100 different regulators. Um, so an international banker estimated that the global compliance spend by banks is more than $270 billion a year. But what I thought was really shocking is that 10 to 15% of the workforce in the financial services industry is engaged in compliance processes.
0: Just so, alone. That's it. Yeah
1: isn't that mind-boggling?
0: It is. It's, that's yeah. just a huge amount of the workforce that yeah. has to be dedicated to that to, part. But if you don't yeah. do it then yeah. Yeah, there's consequences, so, right? So <laughs> the cost
1: of non-compliance would be worse, right? Yes. So you, you know, in financial services, so GDPR non-compliance for instance, the the global, the um, data protection regime in EMEA, they in uh, Europe rather, non-compliance alone can lead to fines of up to 4% of global annual turnover. Um, which it could be massive, yeah. but beyond that, for these, you know, for um, some kinds of violations of compliance requirements, say um, anti-money laundering (AML) or KYC, those kinds of things, there can be significant reputational damage. Um, firms can be banned from profitable markets if they're found to be not um, not properly managing their trading behavior, even if they're not doing it on purpose. Not doing it on purpose doesn't count as an excuse. So so the solution, again, is in the data and in the technologies and in the field of reg tech. Um, So the application of technology to address these regulatory requirements and challenges. And these are largely the same technologies that are remaking financial services, big data, artificial intelligence, machine learning. Um, all are revolutionizing the way regulatory compliance can be done. And they're being applied to reduce costs, to improve regulatory results, um, remove human error. Um, and even the regulators are adopting them. Most of yeah. them have created sandboxes to encourage reg tech innovation that benefits the markets. They're looking at how to put out their um, rules and rule updates in machine readable form. So it's, 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 um, it is a massive, massive undertaking, and it has always been there, but it is definitely significantly uh, the bar is much higher now. The amount of data, the 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 speed of the data, etc., is making it more challenging. So, well,
0: and I think this automation is is certainly going to be necessary because I think a common refrain yeah. that I I hear when talking to people about other industries, and I'm sure it's applicable here, is that. That good staffing is hard to find, right? There, there's, there's a, yep. a talent gulf in, in IT. And I know in certain cities and towns, it, you know, it gets a little bit incestuous, right? The same individuals kind <laughs> of move around from, from place to place and and they're known, which is great. But what it also means is there's just not enough supply of the, the right talent or the most diverse talent to be able to, right. to meet the needs. How, how do you see that impacting what, what the financials need to go off and do?
1: Yeah. I mean, it's a huge, it's a huge issue for them. And if, you know, for anyone that's been following in the news, there's been a lot recently about some of the big investment banks having to massively increase their starting salaries for their, um, their entry level people because they're competing with all of these, you know, technology firms and things like that, that, that are, you know, really cool places to work. On the other hand, you know, so especially if you're if you're looking at um, certain kinds of talent like data scientists. But on the other hand, you know, as these um, financial institutions modernize and, and start, you know, working with fintechs or adopting some of these new technologies um, a, and building up their digital presence and, and transformation, it makes it easier for them to attract talent. So they have yet another reason to, you know to focus on that is because it will help them um, be able to be more competitive and also be more competitive for talent.
0: Yeah. Yeah, for sure. It's just interesting. That's just a common refrain. We just did a, yeah, I'm I'm not going to, I'm not going to, tell exactly the data from it, but we just ran a survey of, you know, four or 500 different companies out there and, you know, some of them were in financials, but it was a a much more diverse set of industries. Mm -hmm. And the common thing we kept noticing throughout the questions is that a higher percentage of questions where you could respond about staffing challenges or skills gaps, those were the ones that are being highlighted the most. So it seems to be something that we're seeing, which is great then about what we do at Pure to help with, with the simple solutions that we provide. And I know you, right. you're constantly seeking to take what we do at a product level and then drive it into a, a financial services message that hits home and, and communicates the outcomes that we can provide for this vast range uh, of different companies in this space. Talk a little bit first about the response times, and I guess related to outcomes. I know people talk about speed, and I'm not a fan of speed. It's more <laughs> what you articulated yeah. around around response times and not waiting, but also how much more quickly you can get tech installed and and providing benefits. Right? It's almost like time to market means better right. time to revenue for these for these companies.
1: Yep, yeah, that's exactly right. So, you know, faster everything is key. But that includes faster provisioning of applications, um, being able to leverage Kubernetes to containerize everything. Um, so like you said, time to market is time to revenue. So um, you know, in terms of infrastructure, where the data is stored, um, how quickly can data be accessed so that you can deliver results? The data doesn't do you any good unless you can deliver it to the people who, you know, who need it, the right place at the right time. How agile um, can you be? Can the platform run new applications on-prem or in the cloud? Um, and, you know, how much data can you afford to store and for how long to improve your decision-making? And how reliable is it? Um, is information consistently available for use, including during upgrades? So all of those things, I think, uh, are important to that, you know, faster outcomes
0: yeah, yeah, absolutely, and I guess along with that, we're seeing a shift in in consumption preferences, right? Mm-hmm. And so, you know, here at Pure, we do pure as a service, and, and we're seeing some great traction there. But really, that's all about dealing with some of the staffing challenges that we've talked about, and right. dealing with with risk, uh, with with risk issues. Um, but but talk a moment, if you will, about just what you're seeing as far as the the consumption models uh, relative to as a service.
1: Right. Yeah. So I think, um, it, you know, it's all about delivering performance in aggregate. And I, I tend to think of the everything as a service and cloud in sort of the same way. They're both intended to provide that flexibility. So you focus on what you do best to generate revenues and, and your data and your applications should just always be available. You don't have to worry about where they're coming from. Um, so I think, uh, it's, you know, peers offerings can help consolidate hundreds of thousands of, you know, um, applications and bring them all to one platform to simplify everything. And I also think that, you know, you mentioned security a few times, the importance of always modern technology as a service and evergreen can't be underestimated in financial services. So outdated technology is, is one of the key weaknesses when you talk about um, the risk of cybercrime that's uh, one of the key ways they get in. So that that idea of not having to think about it and knowing that you can always have the latest and greatest, I think is important. Yeah. Um, and I think I, I also equate good modern technology with simplicity. So innovators need to have a simple platform that enables you know their organization to turn data into intelligence. And that goes back to that talent thing, data scientists should spend their time being data scientists and not data wranglers. Yep. Um,
0: so no, it's for it's all about, it's really about operational excellence. And that's something yeah. I think we we can provide in spades with with you know with that kind of flexible um consumption model as well. Um Yeah, and I think you nailed yeah, it. And you, I, I know you're
1: familiar, sorry, with that uh Howard Rubin, Dr. Rubin. Yes, yes. We, we did
0: a we did a pod uh a little while. I got to do one with, with Howard Rubin and with Cause. And it was it was fascinating getting both of their perspectives. Howard was delivering the implications for the financial industries right. and Cause was providing color commentary just around what we do at Pure and how those things directly connect. So I mean that's a great yeah. for a, a past pod, but he did a whole bunch of research. I mean, that's still out he there for, for people. Right. You know, I mean, just the numbers there are fascinating. Mm-hmm. Uh and it's all kind of related back to Moore's law. That was one of the other interesting things that he honed in on, which you know, as an ex processor guy, I'm <laughs> always a, always a, a, a huge a huge fan of. Um, so we hit yeah, we hit the modern technology. We hit the improved data access. I love your line that data scientists should be you know, doing things with data rather than trying to find it or manipulate it. I guess, you know, kind of to, to close, it would be, be really great to walk through one of our uh, customer examples, just, just somebody that's a public reference that's out there. And I know one that's been sort of friendly and that that we can talk about mm-hmm. is options, options IT. Uh Tons and tons of data centers kind of near and dear to my heart because they're doing things with good old Oracle database and and all (laughs) the complexity that comes with that. But uh, talk a little bit about the options IT. And and this is one where you really see the OPEX model of peer as a service shining regarding removing risk, not just as a consumption model or, you know, a way to manipulate the finances, but really how they were able to to extract risk out of their environment.
1: Right. Yep. Um, So, yep. Options is definitely one of my, my favorites as well. So they are the number one provider of IT infrastructure to the global capital markets industry. Um, and so they they need to provide ultra low latency on demand colo hosting. But they do more than that. They're really constantly innovating. They recently bought a company called Active Financial that provides real-time and historical market data across all different asset classes. Um, and they're, you know. Their objective is to be more than just even you know than just hosting it, but to add value all across the the um, value chain. So you know, in the capital markets, the trading industry is hyper competitive. So a firm like Options, they need to always be able to say yes to their customers and enable their customers' um, growth and not act as a bottleneck. So for them, PEs and the OpEx model, like you said, wasn't just about the finances of it, but about removing risk. They need to be able to scale up or down um, really quickly if they have a client that suddenly needs four or five or 10 times more capacity for an analytics initiative or 50 times more for an acquisition. And so with peer as a service, they haven't needed to take on that risk of a capital expenditure. They just pay for what they use and scale up and scale down. And also, um, you know, for them, shortening their time to market and providing their clients with this um, very performant and competitive storage solution allows them to focus on delivery and innovation and not on capacity issues. So, again, it frees up some of their resources. Um, they also, um, you know, one of the other areas they focus on a lot is AI and analytics mm-hmm. um, with our FlashBlade platform. And so they deploy FlashBlade for unified, fast file and object. And it allows their traders to run um, compute-intensive quant analysis on market data, and so options can manage a, a, a huge volume of advanced analytics, um, and again, um, ramp those projects up and down as as they, you know, as they try these models out, test these models out, move them into production, and so on. And they also, you know, they they like everybody else, they have to deal with batch reporting and snapshots and things like that. They're, um, they have uh, thousands of globally dispersed virtual machines, and um, so they're able to restore their snapshots rapidly. Their nightly batch reports now run in one third or less the time, and their storage support tickets since they moved to Pure fell by 95%. So all of these things enable them to not just have a better experience for themselves, but most importantly, for their customers. So they're focused on innovation. They're focused on supporting their customers and, and, um, enabling their customers to be more competitive.
0: Yeah. No, for, for the service providers, it's all about worrying less about the it and dealing with the challenges that come with that. And, You know, in this case, when I read through what they're able to do, there's tons of clients who want different apps or they want to do different things with analytics. And they can much more quickly spin those up and support those across the, the many data centers that they maintain and provide regionally in order to deliver those services uh, much more quickly. So it, it is a great exactly. example of the flexibility that, that we can deliver for SPs both in financials, but I would say service right. providers and MSPs everywhere, right. Or realizing the power of pure and what that delivers for them.
1: Right. And it's transparent then to the customers. They don't have yeah. to think about it. Options just says yes to whatever yeah. it is that they need to do. So, which, you know, that's a great, that's a great thing to have. <laughs>
0: yeah, Yes is always a good answer. Not yeah. we'll, get, we'll get back to you. You know, yeah, we got it. Yes. Uh, well, that's that's fantastic. Thanks for sharing that story and just in general about what's going on in the landscape. I know we could probably have gone. Much, much longer and extracted far more knowledge out of it, but maybe we'll do that in, a, in another episode um, for anybody listening that is curious to learn more, where would you want to send them just to kind of get a flavor for what we're doing in this space. I know you've been active doing some some blogging and things on social too, but what, where would you send them a couple of places?
1: Sure. I think, you know, the first thing is to just check out what's on our uh, the financial services page under solutions at um, purestorage.com. So and we have uh, quite a bit of stuff coming out in the next month or two. Um, I mentioned earlier an industry survey that we commissioned and it has some very interesting insights into some of the key industry trends we touched on and how financial firms are responding. So we'll have a report on that data coming out soon. Um, and a webinar uh, to discuss it a little bit uh, more. Also, we have a uh, ransomware survival kit for financial services, as well as some more um, in a, a white paper on ransomware coming out. And then um, we also have quite a bit on you know, AI. It's hard, to, it's hard to underestimate AI in financial services because so many things that you look at are really AI stories. So we have some good um, AI white papers and blogs that help people understand what are some of the key areas where AI can be useful in financial services, whether it's in trading or credit approvals or fraud prevention, um, and some blog posts around that as well.
0: Well, fantastic. If you're out there listening, go check all that great info out. If you're curious about trends in the industry or seeing what AI is going to do in this space, Diane is at the helm of providing those for you. And you can also go to blog.peerstorage.com and put in Saucy, A-S-A-U-C-I-E-R and <laughs> find out all of the latest posts that she's been putting on there. Hey, Diane, thanks for uh, joining today. Really had a blast chatting me. with you. Let's do it again soon. All right.
1: Sounds good. Thank you, Rob.
0: All right, good. And thank you out there for listening to this episode of The Pure Report. Tell a friend, send in some feedback, and we will keep the great guests like Diane coming on to the program. And with that, we'll wrap for Pure Storage and Diane Saucier. This is Rob Ludeman saying don't look back. Something might be gaining on you.